Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Airwave First, a podcast from the Children's Airwave First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca St. James. I'm excited to welcome back today's guest, Carice Laguerre, a registered dental hygienist and myofunctional therapist. She is the founder of the Myo Spot, a practice aimed at amplifying oral wellness to whole body wellness. Through teletherapy, she helps clients of all ages overcome tongue ties, TMJ disorders, sleep apnea, grinding, anxiety, and various breathing and oral facial dysfunctions. Passionate about education and self-help, she published Accomplish, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout, and Execute Goals. When not working with clients globally, she spends time with her husband and her four kids. You can find out more about Carice at themyospot.com. And now let's jump into my conversation with Carice Laguerre. Okay, perfect. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me again on the show, Carice. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back. Absolutely. So um, as, as I just kind of alluded to, you've been on the show before, and I'll make sure that we put a link to the previous episode in our show notes. But um, we were talking before, I'm not sure how I missed this, but you have this book, which I will, whoops, it's not going to really show us. Um, I will put that in our show notes. There we go. Your camera's cooperating. And I'll put this link in our show notes as well. But after reading it, I really felt very strongly that I wanted to have you back so we could talk because it felt like the precursor to our discussion. And I think it was something important for parents to hear, not just for themselves, but for their children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So let's just jump right in. And the first thing I would like to talk about, because it's where you start the book and it's, it makes sense to me. So let's go ahead and tackle the difference between accomplishment and achievement. Okay. So accomplishment is really the penultimate when I think about it. So when you imagine that you have a big audacious goal that you're trying to get to, something that you're looking to accomplish, you have steps that you have to make in order to get there. So I am not a runner. If I wanted to do a marathon, I am going to have to actually every day dedicate and carve out time so that I can start getting into shape and running. That way I can make a wonderful 26 mile marathon. I can't just get up tomorrow, decide that that's something I want to do and get it done and accomplish that goal right away. That accomplishment is comprised of all those little achievements I make in making sure I'm getting up every day making that daily run, making it a little further each time. Those small goals, those little achievements all build up Mm -hmm. to the big big accomplishment. Okay. Okay. And I'll just tell parents they're listening. Hang on. This all ties together. It seems like we're going down a very different path, but it all makes sense. So when it comes to accomplishments, you talk about that there are two barriers what are these these barriers um, and how can they impact your health or your child's health? Absolutely. So there's a lot of different barriers that might come up, but I like to group it into two big barriers. So okay. there are the psychological barriers. These are the things like your mindset, limiting beliefs, trauma, the things that 
will impact you from being able to mentally or cognitively approach any of those achievements as you're working towards becoming accomplished. And then there's physical barriers. These physical barriers are the things that's actually within you structurally. These are the dysfunctions that might present that are going to inhibit you from getting to your goals and to your accomplishments. So when we are thinking about it from terms of airway, breathing, and function, there's a lot, and I'm sure we're going to dive into it, but there's a lot that goes in psychologically into getting through these barriers. We have to be able to regulate our autonomic nervous system, that fright or flight, rest, digest system. We're going to have to be in an optimal state in order to get to a any sort of achievement. And so if there's that psychological barrier there, we're already meeting a hurdle, or we can almost call it a full roadblock, where we can't limit that roadblock until we've addressed it. And then the physical barriers would be things that are out of our control, as far as you know what we might present with at the time that we discover that there's a problem, that could be craniofacial structure not being optimal. So you could have narrow arches, you might have deviated septum, you could have enlarged turbinates, enlarged adenoids, like these things that will structurally impair you from reaching your goal. And and when you first, and again, we'll dig into this a little bit more, but when you first meet with a, a, a child, how do you start to figure out what these barriers are? You have to ask really good questions. I want to know a life story. So it really begins with the pregnancy and how everything really began in that child's formation. So how did pregnancy go? Was that traumatic? Was mom alone? Did she have a support system? Was there a lot of stress, strife? Was this a pregnancy that was planned, intended, there's unintended, and that has different psychological impacts as well, the preparedness is which, did the pregnancy go as planned? There's so much before the child even gets to being born. We have these images yeah. in mind, you know, as a mom, I remember I'm pregnant and I'm, I'm ready. I think it's going to go a certain way. I'm going to have a labor that's going to go this way. We're going to breastfeed. It's going to be so smooth. It's going to be amazing. You have all these wonderful dreams and little by little by little life kind of chips away in certain aspects. And that has an mm -hmm. impact on the fetus as it's developing. That has an impact on, of course, with the mother who is the vessel. But all of this is going to play a role in addition to the physical stuff that's going to happen. So birth and labor and delivery, that's its own traumatic event. And that has its own consequences and impacts on our craniofacial structure. If you're delivered vaginally or if you're delivered via C-section, if there's a vacuum involved, there's a lot of different pressures or strains that become created in that cranial structure. And then how are they fed? And we're looking at the whole story. I need to see everything from the very, very beginning, from conception all the way through to where I meet them now, what is impacting them? And so when you see them, you're seeing the entirety of their story instead of just looking at what's going on right this second. And I love that. And you've talked about this before in a previous podcast. Um, it is about holistic. You have to look at everything. It's not, let's just, here's what we see. Let's treat it. 
let's go deeper. How did we get here? What caused this? Let's look at the child as a whole. Exactly. Exactly. It's incredibly important because we can't begin to tackle these things that winds up becoming part of our barriers that we're looking to overcome, right? right. What are the psychological things that may have impacted on the way? And then the physical things we'll look at as we go. Yep. Yep. And it's, it, we're, again, this is another step towards get away from this mentality of let's just throw a pill at it. Let's just do this quick fix and move on. Because when you do that, um, this is my own personal soapbox. And I realize that when you do that, you end up with an adult that is dealing with airway dysfunctions like I am versus things we could have handled at the root with our children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not always our goal as parents that we want to have a better future for our children. We want them to have right. better good. And so we're trying to tackle as early as possible. It's just in our nature as, as parents. And so, yes, it's important to look at the whole global scheme of things. That way you can address all that and prevent them from being where you may be currently. Mm -hmm. I love that. <clears throat> and so as we're starting the, this journey, um, there's one more piece that may seem odd for people, but it does make sense. I want to take a moment to talk a little bit about the Maslow Pyramid and how that plays into this process. So first, for people that don't know what this is, would you explain it and then talk about how it plays into the process? Absolutely. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it may come up for a lot of you as maybe something you had to unfortunately study during college and then you <laughs> go by the wayside after your psych class or requirements were done. But right. it's important if you're looking at the grand scheme of things when you're working with complex individuals, which you know, we, we all are complex individuals mm -hmm. we look at anybody as the same as anybody else. So we have to look at what are the different needs that they need to get to the peak. So when I look at that pyramid, I look at it as like a mountain almost, right? So we're trying to get to the peak of the mountain and at the top of the mountain is self-actualization. That's this wonderful euphoric state where we really reached our potential, but you can't get there until you've started down at the bottom at the foundation of the mountains to start climbing up. So at the very, very bottom, we have all of our physiological needs. These are the essentials. We can't function without food, water, oxygen, period. Yeah. I don't care what you're going through. If you are yeah. without water, without oxygen, without food, you're not getting anywhere to reach any higher up on the mountain. And that winds up being the focus and the primary driver for your brain at that moment in time. And so that's going to come into play as we start talking about this a little later, especially the oxygen part. But then after that is safety. Safety is something that we really, really need as humans. It really mm -hmm. goes into this whole drive of community and so forth. But Really, we just need a roof over our heads. We need to know that we are taken care of in that next basic level way so that there is a support system somewhere around us. We're not alone in the world. So even if that's just connecting mm -hmm. another like-minded individual and feeling like, okay, I am, I am not a, a lone warrior, right? So safety right. one the next thing. Belongingness which really 
all want to belong and feel like we fit in and we're not the odd ball and we're not the odd mm -hmm. man. And so we need right. to all kind of come together and, and understand that, okay, this is a journey that many others are going through. And then esteem is going to be right before we hit that peak. Esteem is that self-worth, that self-love, that self-acknowledgement, self-recognition. You have value. You have value as a person. And this is something that you need to be able to accept in order to really overcome a lot of those psychological barriers, but definitely accept if you're going to start chipping away at those achievements to get to that final goal of accomplishment. So how does that all play into airway? How does it all play into airway? Yeah. A lot of people might take what's up at the top or a, a problem that they, it's, they think is up at the top. So let's say it's sleep. Okay. Not getting great sleep. What can I do? Mm -hmm. Let's try to address it at just where we are at the top here. So belongingness might tell us that, yes, a lot of people aren't getting good sleep. So it's a common problem. And so esteem, I'm going to go and I'm going to get myself a nice little new mattress or I'm going to get myself a nice new pillow. And I, I might just buy this thing I saw on this ad on television and that'll help me get better sleep. But we didn't hit anything down at the bottom. What's going on right. with food? How's your nutrition? How is your diet? How is that contributing and playing a role and a factor into how your body is able to now process and digest and allow you to get into sleep and stay in a good state of sleep? Are you drinking enough water? Are you properly hydrated? But then oxygen, our airway, we can go for days without water, weeks without food, but not any of us can live but for a few minutes without oxygen. We need to be right. able to breathe. And so our brain, that primary driver, if we are not oxygenating well, if there's mouth breathing going on, if we're unable to properly respirate and intake enough oxygen and then expel enough carbon dioxide, we are going to have issues where the body now has to reprioritize tasks. So now we can't get proper adequate brain cleansing and neurological renewal at night when we're supposed to get that. Mm -hmm. We can't get cell rejuvenation. We can't get our immune system to be restarted and to really work harder for us at night when we're sleeping. All of these properties are actually supposed to be occurring, but if we're not breathing, our body's like, help, help, yeah. help, 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 multiple times a night. And none of that happens. And then you right. wait you're groggy, you're tired, and then you you wind up addressing it in ways that really aren't going to help because we didn't look at the very, very root cause. We didn't start at the bottom of the mountain with things before we start getting to those things that might be at the top that might help, that may very well help, but we've got to hit this bottom of the hierarchy of needs. That way our body can then allow us to get to the next step of safety, belongingness, esteem, and so forth. Right. Which again, we're, we're back to, you got to look at the root, no more band-aids, no more, let's just throw a pill. You got to get to the root. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Which is at the core. And I mean, just to continue on this a little bit more, because you, you, you noted two things in the book that, I don't know, you'd think I'd be used to this now after a couple of years of doing this but every time I hear it it's still kind of astonishing um make sure I get these correct 
two thirds of us are sleep deprived, according to the National Sleep Foundation. That's massive. And 20% of the population suffer from sleep breeding disorders of some kind. Okay, this is not a small number. This is massive. So, you know, how did we get here? And how does this manifest in our children? I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but I really want to make sure we hammer this home because as a parent, you may be looking for the same signs, but a child's not going to have the exact same present in the same way. Very true. Very true. Even in my own house, things didn't present the same way. But before I get into that, I really just want to double down on the fact that 20% of the American population is 20% of over 300 million people. So that is not a number to just like discard and throw away. I think when we make the numbers seem smaller, 20% of 300 million is a lot people. That's a lot of people. It's huge. Yeah. So dysfunction manifests itself differently in different people, even people who are genetically similar. And I'm sure I told my story before, but we'll just kind of briefly touch on it again. But yeah. I have four children. And my son is my oldest and the only boy. And he had a lot of different issues with behavioral impulse control, uh, very, very difficult to kind of get him to focus and just corral his energy into just one specific task. Every sort of clinical sign you can have of ADHD, he, he presented. There it was. Mm -hmm. it all there. My oldest daughter had every sleep issue under the sun, you name it. Every night we were guaranteed to have at least bedwetting, but then there was always something else. It was the night terrors. It's sleepwalking. It's the snoring. It's falling out of bed, the tossing and turning. It's, it was always something for 10 years in a row, every single night. We got no peaceful nights. Okay. And then my little two, they were the only ones that were relatively similar where they had a lot of upper respiratory issues. Uh, they had the um, sore throats, the frequent congestion, the ear infection mm -hmm. on repeat. It was just frustrating, very, very frustrating. Right. But these children who are genetically similar presented very differently for what was eventually the same common root cause. So even in your own household, and I think all of us know with multiple children that each child is different and unique. Very but unique. Struggling with the same thing, not breathing well, the mouth breathing, you know, we're not really getting in oxygen as they should. That is very wildly different how it will manifest. Some may even manifest it very, very minimally. You might just see one or two little signs and you don't feel like, oh, okay, it's not a big deal, but it's all going to compound as they get older and as they age, it doesn't self-resolve. And that is the biggest issue nope. you're going to find is that there's no self-resolve. So if we're not dealing with it when they're young and when they're easy and malleable and we can get their body while it still has growth potential to adjust that's going to be the biggest issue. Um, I think I missed part of what the other part of the question was I'm supposed to answer. No, and, and I'll, I'll back up to it, but I really want to hone in on when you said that it doesn't self-resolve yeah. because I can't tell you how many parents I've spoken to and we hear the same thing over again, and this is not a doctor bash, but they were told they'll grow out of it. 
let's just watch it for a while. No, because as you watch it, the damage is being done. It's not going to self-resolve. So let's not watch it. Let's get to the core of what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been there, you know, all four of my children, mm-hmm. despite their different issues, every single one mm-hmm. of them was told, you know, yeah, it'll be fine. The bedwetting, that's fine. She won't be doing that when she's 15. Like, oh, we're just supposed to just let her sleep poorly until she's 15. Right. Right. And we'll talk about a little because <clears throat> that's doing um, huge damage to the gray matter in her brain and it just and then her body functions. And no, we don't wait and see. Um, so the other part of my question was, how did we get here to these astronomical numbers of 20 percent of our 300 million? How did we get here? Our world is changing. It's changing so fast since the Industrial Revolution. We've had different modern you know, implementations into our life that has made life wonderfully easier. And it's kind of made us devolve a bit as far as our structure. So our skulls are changing. We're not eating the same foods. A lot of us are having more processed foods. We don't eat like the hunters and the gatherers used to. Mm-hmm. We would have these harder, tougher foods to chew and eat. Uh, we don't have the natural inclination most times to really follow through with a lot of what's difficult for us. So being difficult for us sometimes might be the breastfeeding and then we just fed is best, which is true. Fed is best, but sometimes we're just not pushing through because we're willing to just kind of let it go. And there, and there's a number of bottles, there's a number of formula, there's a lot of different things that can absolutely take the place of breastfeeding. And so that's going to change our early developmental function. Then you get into sippy cups and sippy cups have no oral function purpose, zero. The only functional purpose is to not make mom mad when there's right all over the floor. (laughs) Right. Right. That's the functional purpose of a sippy cup. Outside of that, it does not help them develop good oral function. I mean, that's already problematic is that we have these things that we think are are stepping stones, the pacifiers, the sippy cups, the little habits that we think are just, oh, so the fruit pouches, these fruit (laughs) pouches. I never get, I never get a time where I go to an airport and there's not like a seven, eight-year-old with like a fruit pouch in their mouth. This yes. I can actually eat fruit. This is not an 11-month-old that maybe in your mind you might be able to justify, okay, they need a, a pouch because we don't want them to choke while we're in the airport. Older children that have teeth, they need to be chewing. That chewing actually does stimulate a lot of jaw growth and development. And when they're lacking that, that's going to be problematic too. So when we think of, and I think a lot of people don't think of this consciously, like why we do this, I think they think of it more of a habit. But when we give children teethers, when we know that their teeth are coming in, we think that sometimes it's just for soothing or just that's what we're supposed to do. You know, Mm -hmm. we give our children teethers. But what we're actually doing is we're encouraging them to chew because that chewing is stimulating to get that tooth to erupt through the gums. And that's how we're giving our children relief. But we don't think of it like that. What we need to do is actually keep that going. And so there's this wonderful book, Baby Led Weaning, 
that actually does encourage that chewing. But that chewing, we need to keep it going beyond just the tooth erupting through the gums. It's, there is functional purpose to chewing. And so we need to keep our children chewing even after all the teeth have erupted. That way they can continue to grow and develop these big broad arches that they're gonna need. Does it help to prevent the inconvenience of braces? Sure. But what it's really doing is it's helping us to develop skulls that allow us to have optimal upper respiratory space, which back to Maslow, we actually yeah. need air in order to do anything else. And so having proper development while we're young isn't just to prevent braces, it's to actually help us to thrive as we go on throughout life because we need oxygen more than anything else. Yeah. Yep. And I think this is the part of <clears throat> this podcast that comes up every time. So <clears throat> for every mom out there, me being one, let's all just take a deep breath. It's okay. You didn't know what you didn't know. We all goldfished and, and fruit pouched and sippy cupped our way through it. Hey, here's where we are. And now let's just move forward. So it's okay. Mom guilt, just let's just park that over here for a while. You're listening to Airway First with today's guest, Carice Laguerre. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to fix before six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. The CAF website offers tons of great resources for both parents and medical professionals. In our Parents Portal and Clinician's Corner areas, you can find educational and informational content, including videos, blogs, our recommended reading list, comprehensive medical research, podcasts, events, parent support, and educational opportunities. Parents are also encouraged to join the Airway Huddle, our Facebook support group, which was created for parents of children with airway and sleep-related issues. You can access the Airway Huddle support group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Airway Huddle. Are you a medical professional or a parent that is interested in being a guest on the show? Then shoot us a note via our contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now... Let's jump back into my interview with today's guest, Carice Laguerre. All right, so... Now that we kind of have this baseline, let's talk a little bit about when you're doing your evaluation with children that come in. Um, and I found this really fascinating because I've been reading so much lately about the vagus nerve. It's everywhere. We're all talking about it. So 
you start your evaluations with this cranial nerve symmetry. And I'd like to talk about, you know, why you, why you start with that. And then how does the vagus nerve, especially with kids, you know, come into play? Absolutely. The cranial nerves are important for us just for daily function. These are the 12 nerves that are really running a lot of what goes on in our body. They fire in sequence. And if there is a dysfunction somewhere, that's going to affect the rest of the chain. And so I always start my cranial nerve exam because I have to know what's going on with them just on basic biological function, right? What's going on there? Cranial nerve 10 Okay, so almost at the top of those 12, if you've got dysfunction below, that's definitely going to affect up top. But cranial nerve 10 is the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is a very big, responsible nerve. You, you want to think of that as like the big guns of all the nerves. This is our organ. <laughs> it's definitely doing a lot of the, the soft palate, the, um, the oral pharyngeal space. It is like the guy that is running things, right? Big daddy, things. yeah. Yes, we love the vagus nerve, but the vagus nerve is actually pretty complex. When we think of it, we can actually divide it. So the polyvagal theory divides it instead of just into two parasympathetic and sympathetic, where we might know as sympathetic being our fight or flight and parasympathetic mm -hmm. being our rest and digest. It actually divides it into three where the sympathetic still exists there as like mobilization, that fight or flight. But then there's the two areas of the parasympathetic so the ventral vagus and the dorsal vagus and they're going to have different impacts as well so there's three different states we can be in so when you're in high okay. tone you're going to find that you know you've got a lot going on you're in that heightened um blood pressure is pumping like you're you're in a heightened state of awareness you're you're ready because you're you have to mobilize you have to engage you're either running or you're fighting like you your body is in that state where it really needs to be on high alert. Okay. We right. don't want functioning like that. That is not uh, the optimal state that we want our children to be functioning in. But then we're going to look down. And when we look down into our, um, into our ventral vagus, our ventral vagus system is going to be more of that um, safety, social engagement, right? So okay. we're able engage, we're able to, to interact with those around us, we're able to learn and intake information, because we're not on high alert, we're not ready to fight, we're here, we're present, mm -hmm. we're engaged, we're learning. Then our dorsal system, that dorsal system is kind of like a deer in headlights is what I like to liken it to. You see a deer in headlights, and it's frozen, and it's there, and there's danger coming, but it's not doing anything, completely immobilized, Immobilization yeah. is that dorsal vagal central. So we have to know where our body is functioning in with this very big daddy of nerves. Where's our body functioning? Because if we're in immobilization and if we're in, or if we're in, I should not say and, it's or, or if we're in that right. right flight, we're not going to be able to make any progress. We're going to struggle. These are going to be the kids that we can't get through to do these high compliance programs like myofunctional therapy, where we, I need you to engage. I need you to mm -hmm. actually working on the steps. I need you to be intaking the information. We need to create neurofunctional change. We can't do that when the body's not in the optimal state for that. So the vagus nerve 
is the big guns. I need to know what's going on and what state we're in. That way I can get to where we need to be so we can make our steps towards progress. We can't get any little achievements if we're stuck here. Right. We're back at those barriers that we talked about in the beginning. Exactly. We're right back there. And it's a big roadblock. That one is a big roadblock. So I have to start know where we're at. That way I know where we're going. So where would, um, because uh, along with ADHD, another one that we see a lot is a child that has anxiety. So where does that fit in here when, when you're presented with a child that, you know, that's one of the main signs we're seeing. Those anxious children, a lot of the times they're in high sympathetic tone. So high sympathetic tone, fight or flight, they're, they're really trying to brace their body for whatever the mobilization is going to be. So whether it is us going into, you know, we've got to go into a fight or we're going to flee and get out of this danger, the body is just ready. It's in the state of hyper anxiousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. And let's talk a little bit more about some of the psychological signs um, of this ANS state. I mean, first, uh, you do you explain it better in the book. Let's just kind of touch on what that is a little bit. And, you know, I, I understand why it's so important to identify this and why it's so important for the journey. But could we just talk a little bit more about, you know, what this is and how you identify it? It's, it's an interesting... Coming to identification of it requires a lot of self-awareness. As a parent, it's very difficult for us to see our child in any way other than as our amazing, beautiful, wonderful, amazing child, right? I Uh, see every day, yep. There are certain things that we'll see and we'll see without problem in our children. And, you know, no one knows their child better than their parent, but to really come to that awareness of it, it takes a lot of, you know, self-reflection and, you know, where, where is this coming from? Where is it stemming from? And then you start to feel guilty about certain things. So I don't want it to um, be oversimplified as in like, you know, you're going to see these things and these things definitively mean that this is absolutely where they are and don't take, right, right. Don't take it there. But what we can say is that you can notice certain signs. So if we're in immobilization and your child is not able to really interact well with others, so a lot of social anxiety or maybe unable to really develop quality friendships, have engaging conversations, that's probably going to be a good sign for you that your child is in a dorsal state that they're not able to really engage with others. So social engagement may be your social butterfly, your academic achiever, the person that is really actually thriving and doing really well. But then your high sympathetic tone might not be able to adequately verbalize certain things to you, might have a lot of difficulties with impulse and behavioral control issues. Uh, Okay. Being able to, yeah, being able, because they're in that fight or flight. And so that's where you know, the control control issues come in. I remember that with my son, that was one of our biggest, biggest things. A kid might say something to him on the the school bus and immediately he's going into violence. Like, you know, somebody just said something and kids say things all the time, how they react Mm -hmm. to that. 
is a big indication of, of where they are. Are they able to engage verbally? Some, some of them are just not able to really engage. And you'll, you'll kind of be able to know where your child is based on how they interact with others around them. And impulse control can also go into, um, uh, I don't, I don't believe it was the Dunedin story, uh, research, um, you know, with the marshmallow, remember they put the marshmallow out and whether or not the kid would take it or the cookie. And those are all, that's a different kind of impulse control. Can you put something in front of them and, and they can reframe from it. Um, so it can present again in different ways. It's not always an emotional, you can see it. It could be something as simple as you gave them a cookie, you turn around, there's four gone because they just couldn't stop. <laughs> yeah. So it's, 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 again, it's back to that presenting. Um, and you touched on this. So I want to, I want to back up to this because this is really important because we talk about mouth breathing a lot, right? And if, if you're on our website and if you haven't been, we totally encourage parents, check out the parents portal. Um, but there's images of kids, you know, playing video games. Just we've all seen that um, snoring. We all know now snoring's not cute. You know, so you think we talk about mouth breathing. It's easy to see. But in your book, and this just this really struck me. It isn't always obvious. So I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about that because on the surface, it seems like, well, yeah, it's obvious you're going to see it. But, you know, what, what did you mean by that? It's not always obvious. I mean, not everybody that has their mouth open is necessarily mouth breathing. Sometimes they are still respirating through the nose. They just haven't they have an inability to close their lips and facilitate lip closure. Um, but gotcha. exactly. So it's not always easy though, in that, um, you know, sometimes it is an issue where the body is just on the backup system because of the congestion. And so it's not necessarily mm-hmm. a mouth habit. It's a mouth breathing necessity and we can't just gotcha. jump to now. Okay. Well, they're mouth breathing and we haven't, rooted the source of such. And therefore, now we're going to start doing things like lip taping or whatever. We don't want to get into all of that until we know what's physiologically stemming and causing that to Mm -hmm. happen. So there are people who it's a habit, not congested, can totally breathe through their nose. It's how they respirate is through their mouth. That is it. And there's nothing else. But there's other people who it's physiologically, that's the way they just have to to live and and get through so that they can keep breathing because we need that oxygen. We have to breathe. Right. He has that backup source for that purpose. Um, So kind of coming to the conclusion of why the mouth breathing is happening or if the mouth breathing is happening and it's not just like an open lip posture with nasal breathing is a big thing. But the key for me as a myofunctional therapist is the tongue posture during all of it. I want that tongue to be there stimulating mm. that nasal breathing and so forth. So even with your mouth closed, your tongue might not be where it's supposed to be and you're still not breathing properly. Right. And it's funny when I read that, um, I felt like, gosh, I wish I could go back over the last two years and apologize to every parent whose child I stared at in a line. Cause I was thinking, do I tell you your child's a mouth breather? You should go see a myofunctional therapist or an airway dentist. When in fact, they could have been breathing normally. They just had an open posture. Yeah. So, so tricky. It's so tricky. 
Um, and, and this, again, you touched on earlier, and we've heard this from so many people, you know, Dr. Morelia, Kevin Boyd, I mean, just everybody. Just because it's common does not mean it's normal. It just that that just to me that's well there you go there's your answer um, uh, and in your book you cite that the CDC actually calls insufficient sleep a public ep- epidemic yes so knowing that great sleep it's it's very personal to all of us you know what's great sleep for you might be different for me um, but breathing is the most important so when it comes to our kids how do we turn this ship and help them with their long-term health span? First step is to really seek out and advocate for them. So seek out an airway dentist, seek out a myofunctional therapist, not always the easiest thing to do, but there are yeah. plenty of resources, plenty of spaces and upon which you can, you can seek out this information. Um, app is a wonderful one. It is a primary step though, to definitely advocate for them. There, there's going to be a lot of steps that you make along the way where maybe you're not at the right source and you may get dismissed or it may be like, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll grow out of it. It's imperative to push through that and to continue to advocate until you get to the start of your journey. The start of that journey is absolutely with the airway dentist or a myofunctional therapist, though. They're going to be able to guide you on the best way for your particular child, because we have to look at everybody as a complex individual, the best place for your child to start. So it might be starting right away with some expansive treatment and structural intervention, or it might be starting with functional intervention and myofunctional therapy. Everyone is different. So, um, and, and we did this in our last episode, um, but at the end of every episode, I like to completely hand the floor back to you, our guest, because you are the experts and let you have the last word, be it for parents or our medical community that listens or both. Biggest thing I can say is be very, very alert. Start to implement a nasal hygiene routine. I think that that is like key. We focus so much on cleaning all other parts of our body. And again, breathing winds up being the most prominent thing. So cleaning out that is essential. Make sure that you are taking that first step, actually, before you even seek out anyone, just start implementing nasal hygiene as a part of your routine. Children thrive on routines. Adults require routines too, but that's a conversation for a whole other time. (laughs) Children thrive on routines. So- nasal hygiene, implement that into your routine and, you know, just get the ball rolling on good oxygenation. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you again for coming on. Um, I really appreciate it. And, and I really, really encourage any parent that hasn't read the book, get it. It's a fast read, but it is packed with so much information that can help your child as well as you. It just, it will change your thinking. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed being here. And yes, the book is a very quick read and it was intentional. I want the information to really stick. I don't want you to have to go through 300 pages to kind of source out where is the good stuff. It's all all there. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Thanks again to Carice Laguerre for sharing her medical insight and to each of you for listening to today's episode. 
If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or comment telling us about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected to the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Parents can also join us via our Facebook parent support group, The Airway Huddle, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airway huddle. You can also find tons of great content for parents and medical professionals alike via the Parents Portal and Clinician's Corner on our website. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via the contact page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.